Whenever a crime is committed, we usually feel sadness and empathy for the innocent lives lost. Lives that fell prey to the darker side of humanity. They often leave us with the question, why them? Why were they chosen to be the victim of the wrong place, wrong time? However, occasionally, a story comes along that leaves you with a different emotion altogether. One that screams, well, they deserved it. You often might feel shame or you might even feel guilty for thinking that and might whisper to your friends, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but this is where you might find yourself with today's story. Torn between our belief that we are not to take a life, but also wondering, did he actually just get the ending he deserved? Your opinions and feelings are your own. So let's unravel this emotionally complicated story and see what side you fall on by the end. I'm Stephanie Morham, and this is Wicked Ever After. Since this also goes on YouTube, there's a lot of words I cannot say, such as sexual assault, sexual abuse, rape. So in those moments, you might hear me on the podcast say S-A. So I just wanted to give a heads up that as you're listening, um, you might hear something a little bit different, and that's only because I want to be able to post this on YouTube. I need to give a trigger warning for this episode. We're going to be talking a lot about violence and SA. So if this is something that you don't want to listen to, I suggest you maybe skip to another video that I already have on my channel. Please consider clicking the thumbs up on this episode to get this story out. And also maybe consider subscribing to my YouTube channel or podcast, depending on where you're tuning in. I really do appreciate all the support. And again, like I say in every episode, I have Invisalign and I do struggle sometimes with the pronunciation of some words. So I apologize in advance if I have any mishaps. Our story begins in Lyon, France in the year 1981, where a baby girl named Valérie Bécaud was born to her mother, Joëlle Aubain, and her father, name unknown. Valérie grew up in Cléette, France, which is a small village in saint et loire the home to some beautiful views and countryside. Her mother spent her days and some nights working long hours at a local sewing shop in this town, and her dad was a truck driver, keeping him largely absent and away from home for a good portion of the year. Valérie grew up with two brothers and was described as beautiful, gracious, always smiling, very nice, and somewhat reserved. She was known for often being very nurturing and caring for others before herself. Valérie often missed her father while he was away on the road and wished that he could be home more. There's a lot to unpack during Valérie's childhood that we're going to discuss, and I'm going to give you a trigger warning because some of it is pretty graphic. Her mom was pretty strict growing up. Perhaps because she was essentially raising three children on her own. Her mom was known to say things like, if things aren't going well, I'm going to need to crack down. It was reported that she was not the type of mom to excuse her children for anything. They had very high standards to live up to. For the most part, Valérie hid what was happening with her mom at home, even though at times things got real difficult for her. At some point during her childhood, her mom's fondness for alcohol grew. 
She was often seen grabbing for the bottle of Prosecco throughout the evening. The alcohol seemed to make her anger worse. And she needed to have control over what was happening in the house. And this led to Joelle, her mother, hitting Valérie. It was often so bad that Valérie struggled to sit down because of the pain and marks on her body. That poor child. Later, her mother was described as an alcoholic who was authoritarian and violent in nature. The violence continued, and it was something that Valérie really struggled with. She started internalizing the attacks, assuming she was an ugly duckling, since her brothers were never the victims of their mother's alcohol-induced violent mood swings. Valérie was constantly helicoptered and expected to be perfect, while her brothers could do whatever they wanted. This free pass to do whatever they wanted extended to having the green light to do whatever they wanted sexually to Valérie as well. When Valérie was just six years old, yes, I said six years old, her older brother was about 10 and they visited their grandmother's house. During this visit, her brother forced Valérie to perform oral sex on him. This behavior obviously upset her and confused her, so she decided to tell her mom, as most kids would probably do. And you know what her mother said? Oh, I knew that. It's not bad. It's between family. What the hell, Joelle? You're supposed to protect your daughter. That day at her grandmother's seemed to be the beginning of a twisted future for Valérie. One where she was groomed and taught to think that those behaviors were normal and acceptable, which we can all agree are not. Perhaps she even started to think she deserved it and that she was paying the price because she was the ugly duckling. Valerie's mother became increasingly unstable. The kids were suffering at the hands of having no real parent present, and the marriage between the parents kept ending and starting over again. Joelle and her husband filed for divorce after 10 years of marriage, but ended up getting remarried two more times to each other after that, causing instability in the home. Finally, when Valérie was 12 years old, her father had enough and left the home for good, leaving Joelle and all three kids in the dust. A few weeks after her father left for the last time, her mom invited a new man named Daniel Paulette into their home. Valerie didn't know this then, but she was going to meet a monster. Daniel was born in 1957 and grew up in the country. His sister described him as a bully. She often hid with her siblings from Danielle during his fits of rage. She said that he was constantly angry and that scared her. At night, he beat their father while the kids found a safe spot to hide. Danielle seemed to take his anger out on everyone, but especially their father. They woke up to stuff broken in the house, blood on the walls, and their dad severely beaten. With Danielle, it was only ever violence and fear. He seemed incapable of having any other emotion. His siblings ran away from him in terror and described his cold stare and look of a killer. They were often afraid for their lives. 
Their father seemed to be afraid for his life as well because he unalived himself a few years later. That is horrible and super tragic. Danielle used his fists as a weapon, but later moved to guns, knives, and other things he could find around the house to terrorize his family. When his young sister, Monique, was just 11 years old, she felt a knife blade on her skin and was essayed by Danielle. There was no choice but to do what he asked, she said. When he said, get up, you got up. After one of the many times she was essayed, this went on for about four or five years, Danielle sat back up, folded his rifle and said, there are two bullets in this rifle, one for you and one for mom. If you make any mistakes, you're dead. Danielle ruled with not just his fists, but also with fear. And it was a very effective strategy because Monique fled the home at the age of 16 to get away from her deranged brother. Danielle's romantic relationships didn't seem to be much better. He was constantly brutally violent. Once he was with a girlfriend and a small child driving home. When out of the blue, he became enraged. He pulled his girlfriend's hair and demanded she vacate the car. The small child witnessed the violence and Danielle threatened to kill his girlfriend, the child, and even himself if they didn't behave. His first wife described him as jealous and possessive. And after seven years of marriage, she decided to divorce Danielle, tired of the physical violence she had endured under his fists. All of his romantic partners described him much the same, extremely violent and hell to live with. He sounds like a real peach. All of his seven brothers and sisters believed he was a monster. This same monster was who Valérie's mom had just brought home. The first time Valérie met Danielle was under some bizarre circumstances. While asleep, she was awoken by loud noises in her mother's room. Concerned and unsure about her mother's safety, she ran to her mother's room to see what was happening and saw her mom and Danielle having intercourse. She closed the door, ran to her room, but remembers being screamed at for interrupting her mother. The very next morning, Valérie was formally introduced to Danielle. And just two months later, Danielle officially moved in to their home. At first, Valérie was relieved Danielle was moving in, hoping his presence would bring stability into the home and provide a buffer between her and her mom's violence. Danielle ended up taking the place of her absent father and was strict, just like his mom, but was also very protective, something Valérie had never experienced before. When Joël got angry at Valérie, Danielle stepped in and protected her, saving her from her mother's biting hand. He also helped out around the house, cared for the kids when Joël worked those long hours at the sewing store. Danielle also showed physical affection towards Valérie, something else that had been missing from her own father. And soon after he moved in, Valérie started calling him dad. It seemed like Valérie was finally getting the somewhat stable, affectionate home she had always dreamed of. However, things started to change as Valérie got older. 
Danielle's attitude towards her started to morph into something else. He started out with massages, telling Valerie that he needed to put cream on her in order for the massage to be properly done. When she hesitated, he said, Everyone does this. It's normal. There is nothing normal about this, Danielle. Shortly after the massages started, Danielle often came into the bathroom claiming to have forgotten something. I can't roll my eyes back far enough. One of those times, he came into the bathroom and essayed Valerie while she was showering. She recalled that it hurt so much that she couldn't move and she couldn't stop crying. That poor child. This became a daily occurrence. It often happened when Valérie arrived home from school. She walked into the house with only enough time to grab a drink and would hear Danielle say, Upstairs, Valérie! And she knew exactly what that meant. Valérie didn't tell anyone what was happening inside the home because she really didn't have anyone to tell. She had no real friends, no boyfriend, no biological father, and... Her mother had been physically and emotionally violent to her for years, so that was the last person that she was going to speak to. There was no happy mother-daughter relationship. And remember, when Valérie told her mother about her brother essaying her in the past, do you remember what her response was? She did nothing. So Valérie suffered completely alone. She put on a brave face and pretended things were normal for two whole years. When Valérie was 14, her mother was asked to bring her to the local police station. Come to find out, the day before, Danielle's sister, Monique, had gone to the police station because she was concerned about her brother's relationship with Valérie. The sister told the police, I noticed that Valérie was on Danielle's lap often. I thought that it was kind of weird for a 13-year-old to sit on his lap when he was not her father. Monique had a feeling Valérie was suffering the same fate that she had. Remember, she was essayed as a kid by her older brother? So gross. She explained to the police her past experience with her brother and told them she had been essayed by her brother for five years before she fled the home. Valérie's mother was in complete denial and didn't believe any of the statements from Monique or her own daughter. She told police that Valérie had never had intercourse, especially with Danielle. The police decided to have Valérie examined by a doctor, which showed that she was no longer a virgin. She confessed to the doctors that she had sexual relations with Danielle. Later that day, he was arrested for S.A. and R.A.ping a minor. Danielle, being Danielle, denied the accusations in his first court hearing, claiming that he had never had intercourse with Valérie. However, after being questioned relentlessly by police, he finally cracked and said, I did R-ape her. I had three sexual relations with Valérie, and they were consensual. The three times that it happened, it was in her room while her mother was at work. She said she enjoyed it because she told me after. I also enjoyed it myself. I think I just vomited in my mouth. But Valérie was telling a different story. I had a disgusting feeling inside. I tried to fight him off, but I was afraid. Letting it happen was better than fighting, and I just closed my eyes. 
I didn't have the strength to fight him because I didn't want my little brother to hear anything. It seemed Valérie was still trying to protect everyone around her despite the level of violence she was enduring. Joelle refused to press charges against Danielle because she refused to believe he did anything wrong. So instead, social services pressed charges against Danielle on behalf of Valérie. This mother is also a monster, I'm just going to add. Danielle was facing 20 years in jail, but in the end, only went to trial for the SA, not for the R-Ape, of a minor. It's still unclear why this happened and why he wasn't charged with both. So he was only sentenced to four years in jail and was incarcerated about an hour away from their home. While in prison, Joelle, Valerie's mom, asked for authorization for Valerie to visit Danielle, which for some reason was granted. She took Valerie to see him behind bars, claiming that she wanted to. After he served only two and a half years for good behavior, Danielle was released and returned to Valérie's home. He claimed it would never happen again. Okay, sure, buddy, we know where this is going. Also, how in the make this make sense for me was he legally allowed to be around a minor, let alone live with one, and it happens to be the one that he SA'd? By the time she was 17 years old, she was pregnant with Danielle's child. Angered by the events, Joelle blamed Valérie, calling her a seductress. She kicked Valérie out of her home. Valérie asked her biological father for help, but he refused. Left with nowhere to go and nowhere to turn, Danielle got an apartment in Beaudemont for the two of them while he found a job as a truck driver. Years later, she was asked in court why she decided to live with Danielle if he had S-8'd her. And she replied, I had nobody. Where was I supposed to go? Valérie didn't have a job then, but reported that life was somewhat peaceful for them for a very short period of time. No one knew Danielle's violent history when they moved to their new village. People just said he was imposing and could be pretty strict at home. Neighbors reported that it seemed he had a firm grip on his family when they went out in public. They described Valérie as small and timid and somewhat closed off, saying they rarely saw her leave the house. From the outside, things seemed somewhat normal. But behind closed doors was a completely different case. Valérie was not allowed to work. She could not leave the home without being monitored by Danielle. And her every move was controlled. She wasn't allowed to have friends at the house, and he established his dominance and power over her. He even went so far as to control what she ate, what she listened to, and what she watched. She was even kept from taking any birth control and had four children, three boys and one girl. She was required to take care of the home, clean, and looked after the kids, ensuring they stayed in line. The kids learned very early on that Valérie suffered the consequences by their father's hand if they were to get out of line. The violence started with small things and then escalated. At first, it was just a tap on the head followed by a big apology. But then that turned into slaps, punches, and even worse, and definitely no apologies. As the years went on, Danielle also fell prey to alcohol, drinking more and more just to get by. 
At one point, Danielle stopped driving trucks, which was his job, and was hitting the bottle pretty hard. And in order to make ends meet, he decided Valérie was going to be a sex worker. This happened just after the birth of their last child. He outfitted the truck with a mattress and curtains and found clients for Valérie to sleep with online. They were usually truck drivers and they would go to the back of the family van and Danielle would give instructions on positions and other things through an earpiece to Valérie. He, and he also warned her not to ask any of the men for help. To protect both of them, he had a gun hidden between the seats in case anything got out of control. This unfortunately became a daily occurrence for Valérie. At this point, Valérie was a shell of her former self. She realized that she had nothing and was nothing and had no options but to be at the mercy of this monster of a man. She saw no way out, no escape, nothing that wouldn't put her life or the life of her children at risk. Danielle continued to become more violent towards her, choking her, and at one point, even attacking her with a hammer. He threatened to kill her and the children. He held a gun to her head and pulled the trigger. She never knew if it was loaded or not. And when it clicked, he said, you're lucky it's not today. There was nothing in it, but I will not miss it the next time. It was alleged that at one point, Valérie's children went to the police to tell them about the violence at home. But there's no record that that actually happened, so it remains unclear. Now it gets even worse. Danielle started to watch his daughter, Karine, get undressed. She was maybe 12 or 13, but it's kind of unclear to me her exact age. It's just a guess. But that was not where the behavior ended. Around this time, Luca, Karine's boyfriend, was the only person outside of the home that was allowed in the house. One night, Luca was over celebrating his birthday. Luca asked Danielle if Karine could sleep with him. Danielle then asked Luca about her sexuality and menstruation, which made Luca very uncomfortable, obviously. Luca had trouble staying calm through this interrogation with her father. And later that night, Karine told her mother about Danielle watching her get undressed. Valérie knew that these questions and behaviors were not innocent. She knew what Danielle was planning on doing to Karine. It was exactly what he had done to her. It's now 2016, and for 18 years, Valérie endured Danielle's repeated violence towards her. And she wanted to save her daughter from the same fate. And so for some reason, she brought Luca into her plan, who happened to be, I think he was like 16. So they came up with a plan. The next morning, they decided to put sleeping pills in Danielle's coffee. But that plan quickly failed when Danielle spat out the coffee in a rage, unaware that his coffee had actually been laced with pills. I'm not sure what their plan was giving him the sleeping pills. Um, maybe he was going to go out and drive and get into an accident. So that's also really unclear. But later that morning, Valérie drove Luca home. And that afternoon, she had an appointment to meet up with a regular client she was repeatedly seeing. He was an odd man and she was fearful, so she decided to put the gun in her bag for protection instead of the usual spot. She met her client in the same location, 
But that night, the client was extremely violent towards her and the ordeal was brutal and painful. She was crying and bleeding while Danielle was screaming in her ear. Remember, she had that earpiece in and Danielle was always talking to her. Once the client was done and had left, Danielle met Valérie at the van and he was enraged. He told her she was going to pay for the behavior that she had. And at that moment, Valérie was convinced he was going to kill her. Afraid for her life and her daughter's future, bleeding naked and unable to walk, Valérie pulled the gun from her bag and shot Danielle in the neck from behind while he sat in the driver's seat. She watched as his body hit the door, the door opened, and his body fell to the ground. She got in the car and left his body where it had fallen. She messaged Luca, telling him she was coming to pick him up. When she arrived, she confessed to Luca that she had killed Danielle. He got in the car and she took him to the body. Together, they covered the body with a blanket, put it in the trunk, and drove home. Once they arrived home, Valérie confessed to her kids what she had done, and they instantly took her into their arms and said, don't worry, mom, we will help you. With the help of Luca and her two older boys, Dylan and Kevin, they buried Danielle's body in the woods. Valérie packed down the dirt on his grave, fearing that he would return to life to destroy them. She later said, the only thing I thought about was putting dirt on it because I was so afraid he would come out and kill us. They walked away from the grave, hoping a new life of healing awaited them. One without violence, without fear, without manipulation. Valérie and her kids moved in with Luca and his mother, ready to put the past behind them, and they did that for about a year. Valérie, Luca, and the kids rarely talked about the events that transpired that night, and it's also unclear if the other two kids knew what happened. Um, I didn't find any of that information in any of my research. And instead, they let their secret stay between them. That is until Luca told his mom what happened. Initially, she decided to not go to the police and not tell them what happened. But apparently, being unable to live with the secret, she ultimately went to the police. She told them that Danielle was not missing. And according to her son, Valérie had killed him. It was then that an investigation was opened into his death. And Valérie and her two children became the number one suspects. Shortly after Danielle's murder, Danielle's sister, I'm not sure which one, I'm presuming not Monique, was worried that Danielle had hurt Valérie and her kids since she hadn't heard anything from them for months following Danielle's disappearance. She decided to also go to the police to see if they could figure out what went wrong. Police interrogated the family and Valérie told the police that Danielle left home in anger one day and left everything behind and never returned. That appeased the police at the time, while Valérie started her new life with her children and at her new job as a house cleaner. But now that Luca had revealed their secret, and the police suspected things weren't exactly as they seemed. Just four months into the investigation, Valérie, her two oldest kids, maybe three, it's also unclear, and Luca were all taken into custody. Valérie was interrogated first and continued to claim her innocence. I don't know why I'm here. You think I killed my husband, but my husband left. We had an argument and he left. I've not seen him for a year. When she was asked how her life was with Danielle, Valérie opened up and spoke about the violence she had endured, 
not realizing she was handing the police a damaging motive for murder. Police then moved on to Valerie's children. They started with Kevin, her second boy. He opened up first and told the police that his mom had to kill Danielle because she couldn't take the violence anymore. So she shot him in the back of the neck. When it was Luca's turn, he didn't want to betray anyone. Still, after 24 hours, he cracked under pressure and confessed everything that had happened, including that he and Kevin had filed down the serial number on the gun and disposed of it in a nearby creek. Once they had the boys' confessions, the police returned to Valérie and told her they had confessed. At that time, Valérie said, I killed Daniel Paulette. She then told them where they could find the body, and upon exhuming the body from the woods, they found Danielle's body in a very advanced decomposition. Valérie was placed in Dijon Temporary Detention Center and was charged with Danielle's murder. Luca and Valérie's two sons were charged with helping to bury and conceal a body. On November 21st, 2019, the two sons and Luca's trial occurred. The juvenile court followed the prosecution's recommendations and sentenced them to six months suspended prison sentence for concealing a corpse. So they did not receive any prison time. During Valérie's trial in June 2021, many of Danielle's siblings showed up to support her, claiming Danielle was a monster and deserved to be killed. Prior to her trial, Valérie had served an entire year behind bars, and after, she lived on her own. She worked eight hours a day where she renovated homes, and she had to learn to take care of herself because she never learned how to do that properly. Her daughter showed her how to brush her hair and practice basic daily tasks. She only saw her kids on the weekend, and they couldn't join her back home. A few months before the trial, she became a grandmother for the first time. The trial itself revealed just how much violence Valérie had truly endured, showing the court the extreme hell she was put through. It was only when Valérie's daughter was likely to share the same fate that Valérie had been pushed too far. Joelle, Valérie's mother, took the stand and defended her actions. Having been painted as a neglectful drunk who turned a blind eye to Danielle's violence, she continued to say that Valérie was responsible for her actions and she didn't know what Danielle was doing to her. I call liar. Yeah, we're going to call big lie on that one. Valérie's children also got a chance to describe what had happened to their mother, saying she suffered relentless violence at the hands of him. When Kevin was asked if there was something his mother could have done differently, he said, we went to the police, but they told us we can't do anything. He also dismissed the idea that his mother could have just gotten a divorce. Where do you think we would have went? We were trapped. He would have found us. Dylan said if his mother hadn't killed Danielle, she would be dead from his violence. Valérie's lawyer told the media that Valérie was a victim. Valérie was suffering from battered woman syndrome. She has since she was 12, and she could not reason like you or me. She was forced to do something that was not in her nature to save her. It was an act of survival. He groomed her into becoming his wife and subjected her to commercial sexual exploitation. Meanwhile, once the public heard her story, there were calls for the murder charges to be dropped against her. More than 700,000 people signed a petition in support of her going free. 
Finally, all the testimony was heard and all the evidence was given. On the day of the verdict, if found guilty, Valerie was facing life in prison. However, due to the nature of this crime and the violence Valerie suffered at the hands of Danielle, the prosecution asked for a reduced sentence. And this reduced sentence was five years in prison with a four-year suspended sentence, which means she wouldn't serve any more jail time. When Valerie heard what the prosecution was asking for, she fainted in the courthouse. The jury deliberated for only four hours and she was found guilty, but the reduced sentence was accepted, so she was set free. When Valérie left the courtroom, a crowd gathered outside and shouted, Bravo! She told reporters she was completely shattered, physically and mentally, and just wanted to go home to be with her kids. Valérie's lawyer told reporters, For me, it's an immense victory that a woman is returning to her children tonight. And I'm very moved. Justice has been done. Due to this case, her lawyer would continue to push that the defense of a battered woman syndrome be accepted in France as a legitimate self-defense as it is in Canada. Women like Valérie are asked to trust the system to deliver justice. In this case, the system dealt with the SA by incarcerating the perpetrator who was then allowed to return home after serving his sentence. The same system allowed this S heir to marry his victim and continue the violence for 18 years. The system turned a blind eye to the domestic violence complaints from chil the children who witnessed their mother suffering. The system deprived Valerie of liberty for a whole year to defend herself, although it had never stepped in to protect her beforehand. And this is why this case leaves many of us feeling conflicted. We are left to wonder where we turn when the system has failed us, and how do we protect each other when so many are forced into silence? We don't know much about where Valerie is today or what her life looks like, but we can hope that she was able to heal from her past and live a life without fear and pain, surrounded by those she loves the most. If you or someone you know is experiencing family, domestic, or dating violence in the U.S., you can call the National Domestic Hotline, 1-800-799-7233. If you're in Canada, there's a separate phone number and organization for every province. I'm going to link the numbers in the description. In the comments, let me know your thoughts and opinions on this case. Also, don't forget to share your suggestions with me so I know what you want to hear about next. You can email me at steph at stephaniemoram.co. Please hit the subscribe button on YouTube or whatever podcasting platform you're listening on. You can stay connected with me on Instagram and TikTok at this is Stephanie Moram. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay safe out there.